Well, it's going to be an upbeat day, isn't it? So, uh, so we are in the third week of our mixtape series, and uh, today is going to be a little heavier than the last couple weeks, if you couldn't tell, by our opening song. And so uh, one of the things we do is we want to talk about real things that are happening to real people at real times. And so uh, that song is so depressing, isn't it? You just, when I was listening to the lyrics as we, of course, I was listening on loop to kind of find some stuff. And like by like Tuesday, I was like, I got to stop listening to this song. I need some like Bob Marley or something. So, uh, so why talk about this? Um, sometimes when we talk about things like depression and fear and anxiety, some people question, you know, why do we talk about these things? And the reason we talk about these things is because it's a real part of life. And things that I'm learning and have learned Uh, None of us are immune to these types of things. Um, It it may not be a forever season. Some of us in this room, we struggle with this on a consistent basis. Some of us, maybe it's just a season of our life that we kind of struggle with these things. And there's lots of reasons as to why maybe um, these things come up. Maybe it was, like in the song, a broken heart. Or maybe it was a regret. Or maybe it was a missed opportunity. Maybe it was an overwhelming sense of insecurity. Maybe for some of us, the reason we get in these places, it was because of harsh words or a series of harsh words that were used in our life that have wounded us. Maybe it was something somebody said to us that we started to believe ourselves and it became part of our identity. Maybe it's just things going on in our body that we don't seem to have any control of. So here's the thing, and I don't want to seem insensitive when I say this next statement, but if you're struggling with these things, if you're struggling with moments of life of depression or anxiety or fear, sometimes maybe it doesn't matter how we got here, it's just acknowledging that we're here. And so what do we do now? So there's this story that we've used before in scripture that I think addresses this, and we're going to kind of walk through this story and what happens, but I want to make you fully aware that it's not just this story, that there's lots of stories that we see as we open the Bible of people that struggle with things, that struggle with life and struggle with circumstances of their life, struggle with broken hearts or situations they find themselves in, and they're asking the question, as David famously did in the psalm, like, how long, O God? Do I have to go through this? And so we see stories of Moses and David and Solomon and Jeremiah and Naomi and Jonah and Job and even Paul, who struggle at times with the situations in life and ask really hard and tough questions and, and sometimes seem to struggle with how to respond to some of these things that have happened in their life. There's even this one famous line that says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Do you know who said that? It was Jesus. So the story we're going to look at takes place in 1 Kings chapter 19, and it's the story of Elijah, considered one of the most influential and powerful prophets of God. And I think the reason that I love this story when it comes to dealing with some of these hard things in life and and trying to figure out how we walk through and navigate some of the seasons of life we find ourselves in when we seem to struggle, one of the reasons I love this story specifically is because what we see Elijah go through and the pain and the torment and the heartache he's going to go through and and even the depression he's going to go through, it literally happens right after his biggest moment. 
And so if you don't know in the story, there's this kind of this, this battle between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And so Baal is one of the false gods in the Old Testament. And so in this region, there, there's this people, one's named Ahab and one's named Jezebel. And maybe you've heard of them a little bit. And so they lock arms or, or lock horns with um, Elijah because Elijah kind of prophesies these things kind of against them and they don't like that because they're in power and so for three years they're kind of this showdown between them and it all kind of builds up to this moment and if you're not familiar with the story essentially eventually Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to say like okay well let's see whose God is actually right let's see whose God is bigger and so the challenge is what we're going to do is 850 of the prophets of Baal show up and then there's just Elijah by himself and we're going to build this altar and what we're going to do is we're going to pray to our gods to kind of come down and to, to, to light these altars on. And we're going to see whose God is actually real. And so it starts, and Elijah, because he's a gentleman, he's like, you guys go ahead and go first, you know. And, and so these prophets of Baal, they start praying, and they start chanting, and, and they start kind of lamenting to their, to their god, Baal, to come down and to, to light up these, um, to light up these altars. And, and what we see is nothing happens, it even gets to the point where Elijah starts to taunt them and he says like, you know, maybe Bell's not available right now, you know? He even says maybe he's indisposed, which is his way of saying maybe he's like using the bathroom, you know? Like he just can't hear you because he's in the toilet and all this stuff. And it gets to the point that the, these, these worshipers of Bell, they get so desperate that the Bible tells us they start to hurt themselves, they start to mutilate themselves, they start to cut themselves. And it's kind of like this scene of their desperation for Bell to answer them. And everybody's kind of watching this because they're trying to decide, like, who, who's right? Is it Elijah who's been warning us about this and the dangers of this? Or is it these 850 prophets in the, under the reign of Ahab and Jezebel? And so time goes by and, and nothing happens. And so now it, it, it's Elijah's time and he goes, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to take as much water as you possibly can and just douse the altars I mean, just get them as soaking wet as you possibly can. And the Bible tells us that he starts to pray and that God sends fire down from heaven that consumes the, the, these waterlogged altars and even consumes all of the altars of the bell worshipers. And it's like this great moment where like God comes through. Like it's like this moment where literally, I don't even know if Elijah knew what was going to happen. He just had faith. And it's like this fire from heaven comes down and it consumes these altars. And not only does it consume the altars, he gives him the strength to actually take on these bell uh, prophets and he actually kills them. And it's like this amazing moment where this one guy stands up to this evil force in the world. And because of God, he perseveres. Now, this is important. This is like this great moment. It's like this big thing. Because my belief is that if God showed up in my life the way that he showed up in Elijah's life, that I would never question him again, right? Like if God showed up in my life the way that he just showed up in Elijah's life, like you would think that that would be like a big enough moment, right? That you know what? I would never doubt him again. I would never struggle again because literally I saw fire come down from heaven and consume altars that should not have burned and not only consumed them, but then God gave Elijah the strength to take on these men by himself. I mean, the reason that many of us doubt, the reason that many of us fear when it comes to hard things in life, the reason that many of us are stressed out, the reason that many of us are anxious, and maybe the reason that many of us are depressed 
The reason you struggle with despair is because you believe, well, God just hasn't showed up. And if God would show up and send fire from heaven into my life, like he did for Elijah, then I would never doubt, I would never struggle again. So hold on to that thought for just a second. Because word gets back to um, uh, Ahab. And so Ahab, not from Moby Dick, but a different one. Uh, he, he's, like, he's like, okay, Ahab, like, this is what happened. All the prophets, they've been wiped out and all the altars. And now the people are really struggling because they all saw all of this happen. And so Ahab goes to his wife, a woman named Jezebel. And, and Jezebel is considered to be one of the most wicked women to ever live. You don't see a lot of Jezebels. You, know, just, you don't name your daughter that. It'd be torture. And so she's this horrible woman. And, and so she finds out what happens. And so she sends a message to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. And here's what it says. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now she's referring to the prophets that have just been eliminated by God. So essentially it's a death threat that I'm going to kill you. I'm going to come after you. Now what's amazing to me about this is Elijah just saw fire come down from heaven. He just saw God do something miraculous. And not just from afar, but like up close. Like not just like somebody else's miracle, but like something that actually happened to him. And you would think that if you experienced what Elijah just experienced, that God sends fire from heaven and gives you the strength to do what Elijah just did, that that might like take care of your faith for like a week, right? Maybe longer. But this is like like a couple days later. And if I'm Elijah in that moment and I just experienced what I experienced and Jezebel comes after me, I'm like, you know, come at me, bro. Like, what do you got? Like, did you see what just happened? But he didn't. In fact, the very next line is this. He said, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. His response to this situation, his response after God did this unbelievable thing in his life is the next threat comes, the next thing, the next overwhelming sense that life might be out of control because now Jezebel's coming after him, the next thing that would cause fear and anxiousness in his life, and he runs. And so why does he do this? Well, because he's a human being. I think what happens to be to us so many times, if we're honest, is, is that we feel like, okay, yeah, God came through on this one, but is he really going to come through again? Or, or maybe it's not God. Maybe you don't believe in God, and, and that's okay. Maybe it's the idea that you've gone through some really hard thing in your life, and you've made it out, and you feel victorious, and you feel great, but then the next thing comes, and the next thing comes, and the next thing comes. And here's what I believe about Elijah, to be honest with you. This, this depression that's going to sink in, this fear that's going to sink in, this anxiety that's going to sink into his life. The reality is, I don't think this is the first time he's felt this. I think this might be something that he's struggled with, just like many of us have struggled with. It's this series of another overwhelming moment in his life. It's this feeling that we get and I get, and you get, where we feel like we don't have control. It's this feeling we get where we feel like that things are bigger than what we can handle. And that's what he feels. 
And that's what some of us feel sometimes. And it doesn't necessarily matter what caused us to feel like that. Was it a broken heart like in the song? Was it this feeling of guilt and shame? Was it this feeling of regret? Was it this feeling of this overwhelming sense, as we said, of insecurity? And so Elijah, he's terrified and he, he runs away. But what we see in this story, and I hope that you start to see encouragement as we kind of talk through this, is even in this period of his running and fear and anxiety, we also see that God actually runs with him. Which is the first thing that I want to tell people when they come into my office and, and we talk about this, because this is a thing that we talk about a lot with people. In fact, let me, let me just do this just to kind of show you why it's important that we talk about this. So, and I know you're not going to want to, but just appease me and do it anyway, right? Okay, so here's what I want you to do. If you know someone or you yourself have ever struggled with depression or crippling anxiety or crippling worry, would you just raise your hand, right? Okay. If your hand is not up, you're a liar. <laughs> because everybody knows someone or themselves have wrestled through this. This is a very real part of our world in our lives. And what happens sometimes is that people believe that when they're going through this, it's because God's not with them, or it's because that they're not good enough. Some people have actually been made to believe that it's something wrong with them. And if they would just give their life to God, then it would all be okay. Well, I hate to tell you the most powerful prophet in the Old Testament, who on more than one occasion, saw God work miraculously in his life. If he's not immune to it, then you and I may not be either. So here's the first practical thing I want to tell you if you're struggling with mental health or if you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with anxiety or a sense of despair. It doesn't mean that you're not connected to God. And some people have been taught to believe that. And maybe you don't know how to deal with anxiety. Maybe for some of us, you don't know how to deal with the depression that you feel. But you can let go of the guilt and shame of feeling like there's something wrong with you and that God can't be with you because of that. It doesn't mean you're lacking faith. And so I think what happened to Elijah happens to a lot of us. It's because the reason we feel depressed is because you can't imagine a better you. The reason that some of us get so overwhelmed in situations is because we can't imagine a better life. And so you're actually believing the most negative possible future. And the reason we experience what we often feel is because we have a number of things that we feel out of our control. And when you feel like things are out of control and you feel all of these feelings, here's what happens to a lot of us, and this is what happened to Elijah, in spite of what he's experienced before. See, when things get out of control and when things feel bigger than us, sometimes some of us, we only see a negative outcome. It's almost impossible for us to see something positive coming out of this. So back to Elijah. So Elijah, he runs for his life. And at the very beginning of his running, we see him make two really big mistakes. The first thing we see is that Elijah sends his servant away, which means he's now isolated himself. He's by himself. And so he's going through this really, really real thing, even though we may read the story and say, well, Elijah, like, why are you even scared of Jezebel? Do you see what just happened a few days ago? It may be irrational to us, but this is where he's at. 
and he leaves his servant and he isolates himself, which is what some of us do, isn't it? In those moments where we feel this, when we should be drawing people in, what do we do? We push people away. The second thing that he does is he runs and he runs far away. What we understand is that where Elijah ran to is about a hundred miles away from where he was from or where he was at. That's four marathons, just in case you haven't done the math. You know, the reason it's called a marathon is because when the first marathon was ran around 26 miles, the person at the end died (laughs) because they believed it was impossible for someone to actually run that distance. And he's now ran four marathons. Do you know what he just did? He wore himself out. He has wore himself out. He He has drained himself of all of the energy that he might have even had left. And so now he's by himself and he's tired, he's alone, and he's wore out. The Bible says that he wanders around and it's like this idea, his soul is in the wilderness, so he runs to the wilderness. His soul is in the desert, so he's wandering to the desert and he comes to this broom bush and he sets down underneath it. And here's what he prays to God. Says verse four, I've had enough. Have you ever felt like you've just had enough? Have you ever been there? And then he says this, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Take my life. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. It would be better if I was dead. And then the Bible says that he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. And I hope you never have a moment in your life where you just feel like you can't take one more step. But we all know people who have. And I sense that more of us have felt that moment in our life than we care to admit. And so Elijah, he came to the end of himself. He felt like he could not live one more day. He couldn't take his life. And so he asked God to take it from him. And then he fell asleep. Have you ever noticed that you are overwhelmed by life? You just don't have any energy. Have you ever noticed that found yourself that you had a job you didn't belong in or you didn't want to be a part of or you're in a relationship or a friendship and it's just draining? You ever have people, and let's just be honest, we have people that we hang around that when we go, like we know we're going to be filled up and then there's those people we go and we know we're going to leave and we're going to be completely drained, right? Or if you find yourself in the wrong place long enough, the wrong place in life, the wrong situations in life. Here's what we all have in common when we're in those places. You will have limited energy because it will drain you. And so you're tired all the time, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And this is where Elijah's at. He's just drained. And so he falls asleep. And do you know what God does? God looks at him. He says, get up and eat. And Elijah gets up after he had a period of rest. And he looked around and there by his head were some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And the Bible says that he ate it and drank and then he laid down again. You ever been in that place where you're just in a bad place and so you sleep 
and then you get up and you're like, yeah, I'll have some chocolate donuts, and then you go right back to sleep. You ever been there? Yeah. That's where he's at. He doesn't have the energy to do anything else. And so the angel comes back down to him after he rests again. And we cannot, we cannot misunderstand the importance of rest, especially in seasons like this. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. So a couple of practical things. The first thing I've, I've noticed and observed in this story, but I've also noticed and observed in myself, and I hope I've noticed and observed in many of you, and you've noticed and observed in yourself. If you aren't taking care of yourself and actually letting the physical side of you heal when you're going through mental stuff, it's going to be impossible to heal at all. And so you have to rest and you have to eat and you have to drink well. Sometimes you have to let the physical side of yourself get healed before the mental side of you will ever be able to flourish. And so here's my question for us as we're, we're going through this. When we see Elijah go through this period where he has to have rest and he has to fill himself with something. So here's the thing. What are you pouring into your body? We see in the song that both of these people make bad choices, one from heartbreak, one from regret. But what are they allowing to go into themselves? I think for many of us, we pour into our brains Netflix, right? or social media, or Instagram, or Facebook. Isn't it terrible when you feel bad about yourself and you get on like Facebook or Instagram and you see all these people living their best life and you're just like, well, that's terrible. Let me see another one, you know? Like, and you just like, it's like this exercise in just making yourself feel worse about yourself. You know what else a lot of us do? When we feel bad, and we all do this, when you feel bad, How many people, by show of hands, it's going to be nobody eats a salad, right? (laughs) What is the nutritional value of Cheetos? I don't think there is much. And so when we feel bad, we all do this. We eat stuff that we know isn't going to make us feel good. And then for some of us, we we take it a step further. We try to numb the pain because we don't want to feel this anymore. Nobody wants to feel heartache. Nobody wants to feel depression. Nobody wants to feel anxiety. And so what we do is we try to numb the pain with alcohol and drugs because it's easier that way, right? And some of us, we stay up till 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning scrolling, scrolling, binging Netflix, And then you wonder why you're exhausted the next day. We wonder why our relationships are short because we don't have the energy to put into them. And so what are we pouring into ourselves when we're going through these hard times? So he gets up and he goes on on this hike on on a mountain and, and it's this idea of, I mean, he's actually physically taking care of Themselves. When I eat bad, I feel it. When I don't sleep well, you will know it, I promise. When I don't get to go to the gym or get my run in, I get grumpy. Physical things can affect us mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And so what are you pouring into your body? It's this moment for Elijah where he's got to start to take care of himself. And the reality is he didn't have the energy to face the next challenge, and so he needed to rest. There's also this little line in there that you you can miss if you're not paying attention where the angel says to Elijah, he says, the journey is too much for you. 
And I love that line because it's this acknowledgement by God that life is really hard. And yes, sometimes it is overwhelming. And here's what you need to know is that sometimes it does feel like you can't handle it. And to me, this is just comforting that God acknowledges it. And the next thing is this, and we've already all touched on this. I think one of the largest problems that Elijah presents for himself, but many of us do, is that he feels alone. And in fact, we see in scripture when he goes into the cave, he kind of argues with God. He says, I'm the only one left. I'm by myself. There's nobody else that feels this way. There's nobody else going through this. And that's one of the lies that we tell ourselves is we're the only ones that have ever felt this way or experienced this. Some of us, as we've already said, when we're going through these hard things, do you know what we do? Rather than allow people to come into our life that can comfort us and help us and walk through this with us, we push them away. We isolate ourselves. We have to remember that it was God who said it is not good for man to be alone. And so when we go through these things, we actually need to invite people in to sit there with us, to walk through these things with us. When it comes to faith, one of the things that I hear people say sometimes is, you know, it's just me and God. I don't need church. Well, you can't really do Jesus without doing church because church was Jesus's idea. He understood that we all go through hard things and that we need people to come alongside of us and help us to carry those things. He created us for relationships. But here's what you also find is many times we want God to heal us. And my experience has been that sometimes the way that God heals us is actually through other people. Other people who are there to support us and love us and walk through it with us. Friendships that we've needed, right? I feel like no one understands our problems, but that's just not true, is it? And that's why you need friends. That's why you should enjoy the people you do life with. That's why you need a small group so you can have people that walk through these things with you. And then the last mistake is, is at this point, he, he pushed people away. He's exhausted himself. He's not taking care of himself. But the last thing, and I, and I know for some of you, you're going to dismiss this, but I think the, the last thing is that, and maybe Elijah's greatest mistake is that he seems to have forgotten about God. And, and so he's in this cave and God like has this moment where he's got to break through to him, that he has not ran away from him. And even though he has this moment that he's not far from him. And so as the Lord says in verse 11, it says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When I read this story, one of the things I question is why I whisper? Because here's, here's what I want. When I'm going through a hard time, I want the powerful wind to come in and just blow it all away. Or I want the earth-shaking movement where there's no doubt that God was there. Or I want the all-consuming fire that just comes in and just burns it all away. And so the question is, well, why a whisper? And I think the reason that there's a whisper is because you have to be close when you whisper. 
right? You have to be really close for someone to hear you when you whisper. The enemy shouts. The world shouts. But God whispers. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, and I know that I'm not supposed to say this part, but I got to be honest. I think it's the most honest question some of us need to ask. What are you doing here, Elijah? And sometimes when we're in these seasons and we're in these things, it's not a judgment, but it is an honesty thing. What are you doing here? Why are you here? Sometimes we need to be honest and ask ourselves this. How did we and why did we and what happened to put us in this place? And what I love about this story is it happens after this huge moment. And then God kind of like teaches Elijah these things about himself and about God. And then he hasn't abandoned him. And he's got to take care of himself. And all of these things, which are practical lessons for all of us. But then what I also love is that God doesn't heal Elijah right away. Because that's what we all want, right? Because this is a Christian story, right? And so we go to church and you hear the sermon and it gets better like that. And that's not how it works, is it? God doesn't heal him in the cave because it's a process, isn't it? And as we read the rest of the story, and I'll paraphrase it for you, but you should go read it for yourself. God sends him out of the cave and he says, hey, no, Elijah, here's why you have to get out of this cave is because not only have I not abandoned you, but I actually have a purpose for you. And he sends him to these people, these people that are going to encourage Elijah as he encourages them people who are going to recharge him, people who are going to fill him up. And what we see is after he goes and he sees this purpose that God has for him, after he rests, after he eats, after he realizes he's not alone, all of a sudden we see the script flip and Elijah is back to ministering people and doing what God has called him to do. And I just want to encourage us as a community it is really important that we look out for each other and that we realize that none of us were meant to do this alone. And when we go through these hard seasons, we need to realize that we need people to invest in us. We need people to be there to encourage us. We cannot do this alone. I cannot do this alone. And so when you go through these things, we can learn lessons from Elijah, but here's the overarching truth. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to actually believe that tomorrow can actually be better. But here's the thing. Tomorrow never gets better by accident. It's a process. It's a choice that we make. It's a choice that we have to do. Now, when it comes to mental health, I'm going to go ahead and tell you my philosophy on mental health. And you may disagree with that, but it's okay to be wrong. And so the first thing you need um, is you need people. You do. You need people. You cannot push people away and expect to get better. Now, side note, there are some people you need to push away because <laughs> they are not helping. But you need people who will walk with you. The second thing that you need is you need prayer. I believe that you need God in your life. 
I believe that you need to realize that he has something in store for you and you need to stay connected to him and to realize that just because you're suffering through this does not mean that God is far. No, sometimes God has to whisper and in order for God to whisper, he has to be really, really close. So you need people and you need prayer. And I know it's not popular for some of us, but some of us, we need pills. You, you cannot push away the medical help that you might often need. And lastly, you need purpose. You need to realize that there's a reason for you to be here. And so you need people, you need prayer, you need pills, and you need purpose, and you need all of those Ps. One of my favorite quotes comes from Rebecca Lyons, who's a woman who herself has struggled with mental illness. And here's what she says. Let's not shame mental health with a judgment of spiritual weakness. As Christians, we believe this side of heaven, all disease, sickness, and pain is rooted in a world broken by sin. But there are real consequences to living amidst the mess. To oversimplify these complexities would be naive at best, negligent at worst. Faith should never undermine the necessity of doctors or medications and therapy because we must deploy every effort afforded to us when we tackle our brokenness. And you need that as well. One last thought. One of the reasons that I think worship is so important and why we sing every week is, is because it's part of the healing process and here's why. See, process, when we worship, it creates a shift of responsibility. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not saying to be irresponsible. That's dumb, okay? What I'm saying is this. When you walk in here and you're stressed out and you're depressed and you're anxious and you're overwhelmed and maybe you're just overwhelmed in life and life is hard and overwhelming, Jesus promised us in this world you will have trouble, but he also told us we aren't meant to carry it by ourselves. Some of us are carrying things we weren't meant to carry at all. And so when you're worshiping, Something is actually happening inside of you, whether you realize it or not. And what it is, is a shift in responsibility. And what happens with some of us is we're singing these songs and we're singing their praises. We're admitting through our words, we can't do this. And we need you to do it. We need you to hold the promises that you've given us to be true. We're aligning ourselves with this narrative that some of these things are bigger than us. And we cannot bear it by our Selves. And it's an audible way to say some of these things out loud that you're already feeling in your heart and in your mind. And so part of worship is a way of surrendering. Surrendering parts of yourself that maybe you don't feel comfortable surrendering, maybe surrendering parts of yourself you didn't know you could surrender. And here's what I understand. Let me go and end on this thought. I know it's not easy to surrender, especially the deep, hard things in our life that we don't want anybody else to know even exists. And it's hard to surrender because we feel like given us enough time, we can control the outcome of anything. And I also understand that one of the decisions you make in worship is you're trusting in someone you can't see, right? And it seems really irrational to some people to give something over to someone or something you can't see. And that's true, except for depression, anxiety, stress, and despair. You can't see them either, but you feel it, don't you? Just as some of us feel the ever calming whisper of God as we sing these songs coming into our life that he's not far, but that he's as close as he's ever been. So my hope for us in these next few moments as we sing these songs and this next little part is that whisper of God speaks to you 
and you feel how close he is. And he may not heal your heart and your mind in this moment, but for some of us, it's the beginning of healing, the process, the journey of getting us to where we need to be. So let's pray.